How's it going? My name is Dr. Michael Robillard, and joining me today is Michael Voris from Church Militant, Timothy Gordon from Rules for Retrogrades, and Mike from Restoring the Faith. And, uh, you know, we would like to have a, or I brought them here to have a roundtable discussion on some of the, let's say, philosophical tensions that might exist for Catholic or Christian service members uh, in the present military, uh, particularly in the wake of uh, creeping transgender ideology, but also more uh, other uh, far left uh, memes like uh, diversity, equity, and uh, inclusion, as well as the uh, mandatory COVID vaccinations that are uh, beginning to creep into the uh, state apparatus. Uh, so I was just wondering if we could uh, have a lively chat about that that set of issues. Well, I guess I'll go first if uh, nobody minds. Yeah. Uh, I grew, grew up on uh, in a military family, as a matter of fact, Air Force, and was on Air Force bases as a kid right up until I was 14, started high school. And there are uh, military, and specifically from kind of a Catholic point of view as well, there was a, a wonderful interlacing of uh, Catholicism with the military, uh, in my experience, certainly as a kid. I went to Catholic schools uh, that were off base, uh, but there were, you know, obviously it's a mix of both. And there was always a sense of, and I think you kind of probably see it, uh, you know, idealized in uh, Bishop Sheen, Fulton Sheen, that there's a great marriage between patriotism, uh, which is, of course, supported by the military, and Catholicism. And, uh, you know, even for people in the military who are not Catholic, but the uh, U.S. military who are not Catholic, but are also uh, uh, Christian, uh, baptized, but non-Catholic, you know, the idea of country service, you know, God, biblical values, all of this sort of thing, biblical values in sort of a larger sense of the term, uh, not specifically Catholic teaching. Uh, there's always been a wonderful, uh, uh, connection between all of those things. And what's going on now, I think is just a way to get rid of, uh, Catholicism specifically and Christianity in general. Uh, from uh, you know all the branches of the military, I, I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah, and the the long march through the institutions, it seems that the military is the last, and this, in one sense, should surprise us, not in another. But I think it's funny that the sacerdotal order of priests got infiltrated before even the military. Military and sports seem to be the last institution getting invaded by the anti-Christians, the anti-West. Uh, uh, you know, subversive ideology. So it's, I think it's utterly important. It's utterly timely that we're having this talk just a day or two after the military announced the force vaccination of all active members. Of course, mm -hmm. there's this bizarre uh, wedding mesalliance between uh, the, the COVID ideology, whatever you want to call that, and transgender. And Michael Robillard and I talk about this a lot in our off hours. The warrior class, even more than the sacerdotal class, has been compromised. And as we're going to see in the coming weeks, in the coming months, a, a drastic burgeoning of the degree to which they're compromised going forward. 
pretty pretty scary stuff. I think this ties into uh, your forthcoming book too, Tim, with respect to the uh, overt elimination attack on masculinity in our culture, uh, because the military is one way through which um, a young boy can become a man, can graduate into manhood. Um, I've seen that transformation as a as a Marine officer for the last uh, 15 years. And I think that ultimately a, a strong streak of feminism, which is which is an, decidedly anti-man and therefore anti-Christian, is is part, one of the strong undercurrents in, in what we're seeing. You can see this most clearly in the side by side videos that have been going around lately of the army recruitment videos, which are, you know, these animated uh, spots where this young girl is the daughter of two women and she's so proud of it and she's operating your Patriot battery missile systems. Then you contrast that with the Russian recruiting videos, and what, which is totally masculine, like dudes jumping out of planes and and uh, going through obstacle courses. And you just look at that and you say, I, in the long run, which country is going to win? Yeah, precisely. That This is why I made the connection between the storming of the institution of sports and that of the military. And I, I do talk about this in, in the book, The Case for Patriarchy, Mike. Mike, Mike, and Mike. <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's interesting and a bit frightening, a bit more than frightening, that we're looking at the lean, hungry Eastern machine, whether Russia or China, and the mm -hmm. fact that they never bought into the feminist lie, they never bought into the attack on the patriarchy because they're not nuts the way that we have in the West. Mm -hmm. It's no contest. Just look at the way that, that females entering the arena of sports. Feminism is basically just proto-transgender, proto-homosexualism. Uh, look at the way that they've fared when they actually dare to contest against a male in tennis or soccer or UFC. This is what we're going to get thoroughgoingly all the way through military and and uh, who, who's to say the way that this will play with the, the COVID regulations and the demanded conformity to the, the COVID vax. It's a self-selection bias that we're going to see because the only guys that enter the military are going to be those that think patriarchy is wicked and they buy into the, the beer bug thing, the COVID thing. It's, it's really, really frightening. It, it, yeah, I think, it is. I, yep. I, so I think there's a conditioning uh, going on. We were having some just kind of off the record conversations here in the studio back during the election, during the campaign, and uh, <clears throat> saying if Biden were somehow to win, which he didn't, but if he were to somehow win, uh, you know, how would they begin to sort of enforce the Biden thuggery? We're like, well, you know, we know loads of police officers and things who just would never go along with that whole agenda. So what do you do? Well, you get rid of those police officers, mm -hmm. you get rid of that force, you, you know, you you start to penetrate the military. And if you can get rid of the patriotic, masculine, uh, you know, you call it patriarchy from the military and replace that with something else, well, you still have the military, but now you have uh, a military that's more akin to something like the SS. I mean, they're just the, you know, it's just a, a group of thugs, uh, you know, who are, you know, hate anything having to do with any sort of tradition, whatever it is, American tradition, Christian tradition, all of it, whatever. They, and now you have your police force. You, you yes. know, you don't have it at the moment, but you have a police force in the process of being built uh, in order to turn it on the citizenry, many of which used to be in the military. Uh, yes. or closely associated with it. And I think that's what's going on. I mean, you, you know, it's fine to pass all these laws, but if different sheriff's departments and 
you know, military personnel and police officers, et cetera, aren't going to enforce it, well, then you got to do something about that. And I think that's what's going on. Yes. I mean, the, the, the odd thing that I find is that the, the, the two ideological commitments that the left is, is most pushing right now is that of, of COVID vaccination and transgenderism. And those things are fundamentally incommensurable with one another. The claim that you must trust the, the latest biomedical science, which assumes Aristotelian essentialism about biological males and biological females, is directly incommensurable with this transgenderist ideology that you can just opt in and out of your sex at will. Mm -hmm. um, but they're, they're driving both of those at the same time. And the result of that, if people go along with that, is just it's a hollowing out of, of any sort of rational capacity or probity to, to be um, critical of, of these things. So what's left of the force after that gets driven through uh, is, yeah, like you said, it's, it's just a, a group of people following orders. Yeah, well, and, and that's, the, you know, the, the famous uh, Vietnam case study in, in military ethics is the Lieutenant Cali case in which Cali just mowed down a bunch of people because that's, you know, and, and people followed his orders. Um, we, we, for a generation therefrom, we've tried to mold young men and women into, uh, into moral leaders who understand the difference between a legal order, a lawful order, a moral order. Um, but what's happening in this 700 year war on reality that is culminating now mm -hmm. is that the very essence of being, uh, is, is now being questioned. And so, and I think that's really the, the 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 link between the radical transgender movement and the COVID movement, because it's really an assault on you know the the principle of existence of being, um, and and at this point, what we'll be left with, and I think uh, I think Michael Voris alluded to this, is what does the military look like after you know Biden has four years mm -hmm. of having his way with it? And I have to tell you, for, from the inside. I don't think that much was done to rebuild during the Trump years. I was commissioned under the under the Bush administration. I served on active duty during the Obama years and in the reserves uh, under Trump. And I don't think that Trump did very much to reverse what was started under Obama. So even if uh, some miracle happens in, in 24 or thereafter, we may have already crossed the, pr the precipice of being irreparable at this point. Mm -hmm. I think as you go back and look at the Obama years, uh, you know, this was uh, told to us by uh, Joe Flynn, General Michael Flynn's brother, uh, that uh, when Obama was in office, and it's kind of interesting, the Trump 2016 win and how that derailed or sidelined for the moment for four years, the big plan. But, you know, he had uh, remade not only uh, started the replacement of all the ideologues in charge of the various branches of military and putting them in the, you know, a good number of key positions. But it's the same thing he'd done with the intelligence agencies. So if you remember during the debates, I think it was the second and third debate between Hillary and Trump uh, back in 2016 on stage, she kept saying 17 U.S. intelligence agencies have all said, you know, mm. you are you're corrupt and Trump, you suck and you're colluding with Russia and blah, blah, blah. And the reason she could stand up there and make that claim, so you know, and remember, it was proven false. Uh, the the charge that he was colluding with Russia, uh, even Comey couldn't make the connection. Uh, you know, she was able to stand up there and make that kind of bold claim because she knew all the pieces had been put in place 
to be able to make that accusation when uh, just simply by personnel appointments over those eight years of the Obama administration. They were just going to continue, you know, at Hillary won, they were just going to, you know, just dovetail right into what is what would have been essentially Obama 3.0. The whole thing was worked out like that. The military was all part of this. You know, Mm -hmm. as you said, I mean, you know, you have to, you know, as you know, Tim, you pointed out the, you know, it's the military and, you know, professional sports. And, uh, you know, once you sort of have those last two bastions of masculinity fall, you got everything. And because mm-hmm. uh, you've already got everything else. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, th- this 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 is a very well thought out, co- you know, calculated plan on the part of Obama. Who's look, the good dude's a walking Marxist. I mean, it's just what he is. He's trained under Saul Linsky, paid for by the Chicago Archdiocese under Bernadine. Yeah, he's and they're all Marxists, the whole bit. So when we look at all of this stuff and the corruption in the church, which beget the corruption in the culture, this could not have happened. None of everything we're talking about right now could have happened had it not been first what happened inside the church, Catholic church. And, uh, you know, so it's, I don't think we could be surprised at all that we see, you know, all of their spokesmen uh, and people who executed all of this back in the day, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and we were all just little kids, and this was all going on, and some of you, Tim, weren't born yet. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, it, it, we're seeing the culmination of it, and I think this really is kind of into the final chapter. I mean, it is scary looking out into the the, the near future to say, what is all this going to end up as? And I don't think anybody really wants to come out and quite admit that yet. But uh, look, yeah. you know, I think we all know where this is heading. Yeah. Tim's made the point before that the, the speed of this is it's becoming exponential in terms of the, the, the unraveling of, I guess, metaphysical or conceptual categories. Yeah. Orders of magnitude of 10 diminishing. It's a logarithmic function when we say, Feminism took 100 plus years to, to base, especially if we count like Seneca Falls Convention from 1848 onward. So about 10 to the power of two to base before it came out in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Then homosexualism started basting in the 90s and really came out with a Bergefeld. So it's closer to 10 years, you know, 10, 10 to the order of one. And, and uh, transgenderism, which is just the latest iteration of proto but feminism writ large took about 10 to the power of zero took like one or two years Mm -hmm. in 1516 to, to come out. So you see this, this logarithmic function in the prep time of the variant strains of, you know, what I call feminism, proto feminism. And that's, that's frightening. The fact that feminism took say something like a hundred years to, to base, to get in the cake and to um, make itself, uh, palatable to the druthers of your John and Jane Q public or whatever. Homosexualism, you start seeing it in the early 90s in television programs. First, it was one requisite uh, homo character, and then all of a sudden it's two, three. Now the whole, whole, whole cast is gay. But transgenderism moved fast. It was yep. staggering. And now we see it in sports, which is hilarious, yep. and the military, which is less hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the speed of it, and now I think it's it's LGBTQIAP plus, right? Or or you'll mm-hmm. see other versions of that, right? So the, the, this 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 accordion effect is there's the logic of it is is starting to to, to show itself. Well, and the reason why it spreads yep. so fast in the military environment is because one of the principles of warfighting is unity of command. It's it's homogeneity. Yep. It's that you have to establish a common 
society and a common way of thinking and talking, uh, a common method of war fighting. There's a culture. And yes. so uh, when the leaders at the top establish the new culture, it matriculates quickly mm -hmm. and it becomes enforceable under under a, a set of law that is much more strict than common you know, uh, law applicable to, to normal citizens. The UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, is very strict mm -hmm. and um, and thought crimes are a real thing. And, you know, we're, we're seeing this with this whole anti-extremism so-called training that everyone right. had to go through, which even I sat through. So I know exactly what they're uh, what they're preaching. And and the true the true thing is, and, uh, and I know I saw one of my fellow Marine officers on on Tucker Carlson, and he went through the same training I did, and and we knew each other um, in our in our pipeline. If you are a practicing Catholic, you are by definition an extremist, according to the DoD of yep. 2021. I mean, just that's just that that's just a fact. Yeah, yeah. So, Mike, not to put you on the spot, but I mean, from you know, your perspective, what could you give any prescriptions for Catholics or Christians in the military right now or people who are thinking about entering the military? I mean, I, I don't I was going to wait till towards the end to actually say this, because I think this is I, I think, unfortunately, this is a big red pill for people to swallow. I can no longer recommend military service to people who ask me whether or not they think they should join. And 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 I've even changed my mind over the last year. A year ago, I would have told you, okay, if you came from the right family, if you had your head on straight, if you if you knew how to keep your head down, you could maybe navigate it. Now, with the twin specter of the of the death jab on the one yeah. hand, which I'm on a, I'm on a list right now of of unvaxed, and uh, my general knows my name. Uh, so on the one hand, it's the death jab, and then on the other hand, if you if you happen to subscribe to Church Militant or to Tim Gordon, if you subscribe on social media, you're on the other list. You're on the extremist list. So you can't you can't practice your faith and you can't avoid aborting babies and 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 reprogramming your RNA. Um, and so at this point, I think it's game over. I don't think any Catholic young man uh, should uh, can can do it anymore. On a related note of that, sort of where all of this began in the Catholic priesthood. Uh, I, I'm not quite so sure I would be that far with it as far as young men going into seminary, but I would say I'd probably about 85 to 90 percent there of what you just said, Mike, about young men going into the military, U.S. Armed Forces. Uh, you know, you had better be very, very mature and eyes wide open if you are somehow able to navigate your way through you know, if you want to do the equation or the, equate it, the boot camp of of priesthood, which would be uh, you know seminary, or able to navigate your way through that and find one that is good and this and that and everything else. Okay, so boom, you come out. Here you are. You're a soldier, a sacerdotal soldier for Christ. And then what happens? Are you really thinking you're going to stand up in a pulpit and say, "Hey, all you contracepting Catholics out there"? Uh, you know, you're going to, you know, you'll be side, you'll, you'll get a Father Altman, you know, faster than you can, you know, faster than you realize what will happen. And, and you know, everybody re references Father Altman, but there are hundreds, hundreds of priests in these conditions. We had nine of them sitting in the studio right behind me where I'm standing right now. Uh, so, you know, you go into seminary and, you know, then all of a sudden you're put into this moral dilemma because you're mm -hmm. a priest and, you know, you are you know, you, you have to say the truth of Catholic teaching. Why would you become a priest if you weren't going to do that? 
And then a bishop calls you in, and maybe the bishop who ordains you, maybe he's a good guy. But then the supiches of the world, you know, the generals, uh, you know, who are all woke in the church to keep the military, uh, the military parallel here going, analogy, you know, they stick in another bishop who's like, oh, no, 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 you can't say that. And all of a sudden, here you are. Now you're frozen. Yeah. Uh, and and you've got bishops like in Arlington trying to get rid of, you know, good priests and have them defrocked and everything else. I, I mean, you have to put all of this into your equation. It's not the 1950s. You know, you don't get to go up and know Father Bing Crosby say, oh, that's great. You know, I should go be a priest. That's wonderful. You seem like a nice, pious young man who you know, wants to serve Christ in the church. There, there's much more on the plate now with regard to that than there is uh, and, you know, there are some very close parallels there with, uh, you know, with the church. And I think if you're going to go be a professional athlete, even really, you're going to go work for a corporation, which is what they are. The teams mm-hmm. are corporations. And you're going to have to, you know, what about the Neil thing? And then, you know, where you, are you going to wear the, uh, you know, the, the pink, uh, I'm sorry, the pink, the uh, pride shoes. If your if your club says you're going to, you know, whatever, I mean, you know, the whole idea is to, you know, I liked your word there, Mike, homogenize. The whole word, the whole idea is to homogenize you into this one wonderful, glorious acceptance of the People's Republic of the U.S. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's horribly frightening. And again, the church is the one that led the way with this because it was the moral foundation that was first destroyed underneath all of this that allowed all of it, to your point, Tim, to just accelerate in a crazy way to where we are right now. The the other element that I keep thinking is that if a military officer or, or NCO is making an oath to, to the Constitution and the first principle of the Constitution is freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of association, then by definition, the, the transgenderist ideology, it it runs roughshod over all of those commitments. So I just don't think in principle uh, one can can simultaneously be um, committed to, to, to both of those things at the same time. So I think that's the contradiction there is it's going to work itself out one way or the other. Could I go back to a point that that RTF Mike made? earlier it, it it entails the alacrity of the left how, how stunning it is that at the level of culture the left envisaged first and then emplaced this taxonomy and this is really what Alinskyism was all about without the kind of formal taxonomy of say the military government or church which they would later infiltrate the leftist apparatchiks they were able to infiltrate culture and the you know the hierarchical taxonomy which is in place in military government church w- w- makes it easy it's like shooting fish in a barrel once you get the idea this is what what i think rtf mike was insinuating earlier that personalist policy which the leftist apparatchiks they get it so well and we on the right we christians we're losers we always lose we refuse to get this principle personalist policy on courts in the Congress, in the church, in the episcopate, and and in the military as well. They if these guys can get the culture, which doesn't have the inbuilt taxonom- taxonomical structures, then imagine what they're gonna do once the culture is pervaded, Alinskyism prevails, you know, feminism, 
homosexualism, transgenderism, whatever in the devil's name is next. Well, all they have to do once the culture accepts these things is this is why it moves so lightning fast. All they have to do is waterfall it from the top. And that's sure. why, you know, this is what Mike was saying about it works lightning quick in the military. When will we learn the personalist policy and to only emplace good conservatives who are, you know, rock ribbed? Mm-hmm. That, that's that's what's at the core of all of this, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. It's actually one of the uh, it's one of the uh, vortex episodes. I have a title coming up on personalist policy that there is, you know, you and I, I think a number of well-meaning but naive Catholics uh, uh, who who care to some degree more than the average Catholic in the pews about all of the stuff we're talking about. I think they have an idea in their mind that uh, you reach sort of a critical tipping point once a majority of leadership happens to feel this way or act this way or something, and that's not true. As you made the point, Tim, absolutely, personnel's policy, all you need is just a handful of the right, uh, you know, demonic people in the right key positions, and all of the rest of it begins to cascade. You know, it's like the military hierarchy. All you need is a few people passing down the orders and then appealing to some sense of whatever the authority is, military authority, ecclesiastical authority, whatever, and then all of a sudden, everybody just follows suit. And remember that in the, you know, as we see going on now in the military, the, you know, who you are recruiting, who you are bringing in, you're not letting people in the door who are rah rah America. You're only letting people in the door who are rah rah lesbianism or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this has been going on in the church, uh, in the uh, ecclesiastical circles for decades. At this point, the only people being allowed into seminary, for the most part, regular diocesan seminaries, I mean, probably, you know, make exceptions for the FSSP, for example, and a few diocese seminaries here and there. But for the most part, from the mid-1960s until probably the early 2000s, you had nothing but a screening apparatus in place to block rah-rah church guys, masculine guys from coming into seminary. Mm-hmm. And and even if they managed to slip through that first filter, you blocked them quite frequently from getting through to the only filter that mattered in the end, which was being ordained. And then certainly bounced up the, the ladder to becoming a bishop. So, I mean, this this activity has been going on inside the Catholic Church now for decades, which is why I'm always saying, without that happening none of anything else we're talking about would have happened. Mm-hmm. That is how the moral collapse happened, because the church, which is the only thing invested with divine authority and power to stave off this evil, simply threw up its hands uh, because the key people, the personnel, developed the policy of, well, let's just get along and everything's fine and play your guitar and sing your Joan Baez opening hymn and everything's fine and Contraception is not that big of a deal, and so on. We, we know the story, all the stuff, the entire complete dropping of the ball with everything uh, with regard to the church. And I don't think it should be surprising to see in places like the military, hey, look, that blueprint works. I worked in news for my entire career, and uh, I started off at CBS News in 1983. And by the time I got out of news in 2000, roughly 20 years, that whole thing had happened. You could not come in. We used to have arguments, good, solid throwdown arguments, philosophical arguments in newsrooms, in every newsroom I ever worked in, including the CBS network, and different philosophical views of this and that, and how would you handle this story? 
I can assure you no such conversations like that go on anymore. They may have diverse diversity as far as what you see on the screen, you know, whether it's a man or a woman or black or white or whatever, but there is no diversity of intellect immediately behind that. You are in lockstep in the media or you are gone. It's just that simple. The recruitment thing is as well. The recruitment thing is real in the military too. I know so many recruiters who have lost their marriages because they work so hard to block white Christian males from swearing an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America, um, especially in the Marine Corps. Uh, when you're looking at the officer recruiting, um, you you only have you you have to find what they call um, the unicorns. And, you know, you're, you're almost looking for, you know, a, a woman of color, uh, who can fly a plane, uh, with a 4.0 in, in, in geog geography or something, you know, like, a you're, you're looking for something that is hard to find that, uh, ostensibly as, as you said, Mike Boris, uh, to portray this shallow version of diversity to say mm -hmm. our force represents the people of the United States but the truth is, is I, as I look at the people of the United States, I don't want our force to represent the people of the United States who are a largely fat, lethargic, weak, effeminate. I want our force to represent the best of the best. And uh, I don't really care what that person looks like. Um, I do think it should be a man. Um, I don't think women should serve in military. But, um, but I do think that, um, that because of the recruitment Exactly what you described, which which happens in, in the seminaries, that has been going on. This diversity thing started under Bill Clinton, really, uh, when he suspended, you know, when he in, envisioned don't ask, don't tell uh, diversity recruitment and um, and recruitment goals based on race, based on religion. Um, that was really when this this whole thing started to come undone, because at that point, you're blocking highly qualified people because they're white guys. Remember when uh, just this past uh, spring, when Biden went to, I can't remember if it was West Point or Annapolis, but he got up there and he gave that speech. And what did he say uh, with regard to here, here are the, you know, the graduates, so, you know, the cream of the cream of the crop officers. And the very first way he labeled them was the most diverse class mm -hmm. of uh, military officers in U.S. history. I, I I don't really care if you're you know of Chinese American descent or Irish or whatever. I care that you know how to defeat an enemy and protect us here at home. But his very first jump point was diversity. Uh, you know, most diverse class ever. Who cares? Well, they care. That's the point. The yeah. Marxists who are running everything, they care. I'm interested in diversity in the military. I'm adversely interested in sexual diversity. I'm I'm very interested, as a matter of fact. I would like to know, I'd rest assured, that it's an all-male military, and I have, a, I have a compelling national interest, jointly and severally, in securing as much. You know, I was <laughs> going to ask, uh, again, Mike, RTF, what everyone asks me, and, and they're getting ready to say it in their whiniest collective voice uh -huh. when my book, uh, Case for Patriarchy, comes out. You know, what about Joan of Arc? And I, I'm getting asked that on each radio interview I do as I'm promoting this thing. Joan of Arc never fought in a battle, of course, because she would have gotten destroyed, right, as a small, small woman. She never fought in one battle. What about her injury? 
Her injury was outside of battle, and obviously you can use your common sense. Of course she never fought in a battle. This shocks the conscience of most Catholics and most military people in general who have been sold a pack of lies about even end-member, marginal, what would be exceptions to the norm Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of women in battle. Even exceptionally, it just doesn't work. I mean, is this shocking? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whataboutism is is uh, is something that the left loves to do in in every context. I mean, Saint Thomas says you have to take first principles first, first things first, second things second. The what what about rape and incest with respect to abortion? That's the first thing they run to. If you can't establish the rule, the the norm, the bell curve, why would you start talking about six deviations from the mean uh, in order to justify your point? If it's if it's five or six deviations from the mean, like Saint Joan of Arc is. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't prove uh, normatively. It doesn't prove a rule, and so it's people are just uh, devoid of reason and math. But they're but but they're just agenda driven. Who, who these people who are asking you that I think are just agenda driven. Yeah, yeah of course they are. So just one point, like mentioned the Alinsky era, but I wonder to what degree some of this is is downstream from a, a conflict of of much more fundamental paradigms, where. You know, let, let's say you have folks that are fundamentally committed to a, a Whig interpretation of history, and they just believe that there's this this built-in Hegelian telos to the unfolding of human history, which is towards more and more egalitarian rights claims. If that is just assumed in the background, then you can make a very quick logical move from the founding of the country to the extension, to the ending of slavery, to the extension of first wave feminism, second wave feminism, uh, gay rights, trans rights. And, and that at any point, if you question the, the leading edge progressive rights claim, then they can just back up and leverage the, uh, the, the, the precedent before that as mm-hmm. ways to move, move the ball even more forward. Uh, so then we're, we're put into a situation where you either have to accept the, the bleeding edge progressive claim or reject the entire set of progressive claims going all the way back to the Amer- America's founding. So I think there's, there's something like that, that that is going on as sort of a me- uh, um, dialogue. Yeah, I, d- I didn't hear the exact end of, of what you said, Mike Robillard, but uh, I'll I'll venture this much out there. It's really unfortunate that all of the bastions of conservatism in the American Academy, the way that they remain today, are hotbeds, places of Straussianism, because the Straussian story, it it shifts a little bit, whether you're talking West Coast, Midwest, or East Coast Straussianism. Um, I I could explain that if we had 15 more minutes. But the point is, they're committed to some version of Whig theory of history, you know, West, arguably the West Coast Straussians think, you know, in the most almost Catholic ways. But the problem is this fundamentally, the Whigs who were being read by the American founders were committed to a what we would call a modernist, that is to say, a Protestant Enlightenment view of the world, although they were borrowing all their best stuff from Bellarmine and Suarez. And so rights claims, whether we're talking about natural rights or popular sovereignty or the concept of subsidiarity, though it wouldn't, of course, be the term wouldn't be coined until 1931 in Moano. These three big ideas of what a rightly ordered 
uh, Bellarminian Thomistic Republic would be wired around natural rights, popular sovereignty, and subsidiarity. These were hijacked by Whig thinkers like Locke and Sidney, who filtered them through a Protestant and an Enlightenment lens, which does, as you say, lend itself to, you know, a kind of never-ending uh, encomia of praise for rights. It doesn't matter who they accrue to, just rights for the sake of rights. They can be fabricated. They don't ultimately hail to natural law. And this is the problem with these two strains of early modernism, the, the 16th century form known as Protestantism, the 17th century form known as Enlightenment thought. Fundamentally, they each reject the, the big elements of natural law. And without natural law, without a proper understanding of it, the understanding that the guy that originally responded to hated Robert Filmer, whom the, the Whigs hated, you know, this guy was, was Bellarmine, who Filmer was writing all his works against, namely Patriarcha. Without that proper understanding of the prongs of natural law, you're going to get a, an inverted, perverted, subverted iteration of the things, the goodies, so to speak, that are downstream of a true conception, an, a Catholic conception of natural law, namely natural rights, subsidiarity, virtue ethics, mm -hmm. uh, popular sovereignty, proper church-state relations, and so forth. And so I, I do agree that even though in, in another sort of closely knit foreseeable universe, parallel, uh, close to what happened, the, the American Republic is ideologically, from, from the view of intellectual pedigree anyway, almost Catholic insofar as, you know, Locke and Sidney were reading Bellarmine. Well, they filtered it and they covered up their source list, their bibliographies. Unfortunately, this committed America early on to a, a, a theory of Whiggism that is more Protestant and or Enlightenment than it is Catholic, even though ultimately the, the you know, the sounds, Riverhead was Tim, Catholic. that sounds to me like a whole list of hate facts. <laughs> it is. Oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, you know, guilty as charged. <laughs> I think I think precisely what some of what you're saying, Tim, and and you know I, I take a, I, I take a little bit of an exception to to your reading of our history, but that's not the point of this podcast. I do think though that Pope St. Pius X, in response to some of the things that you've described, did famously say, "We've heard a lot in our time about the rights of men. Let us now hear of the rights of God." And and I think that that is that is the response to what you were saying about rights for the sake of rights accruing to anyone for any reason arbitrarily uh, by governmental fiat. Um, and so now we have these so-called rights, uh, um, you know, to error. And, you know, I think I think some trads kind of get uh, get a little carried away with this notion that error has no rights and, and they and and they love to tweet about it. And I've tweeted about it, too. Uh, but when you do give rights to error. And this is something that you brought up, uh, Mike Voris. If if you have a couple people who are demonically in error, it doesn't have to be the majority of people. One bad apple spoils the bunch. You cannot give quarter to these people. You must eliminate them from all hierarchy, from all ranks. You cannot ordain not one homosexual because the moment that you do, the infiltration continues and the entropy and the um, and and the breakdown uh, continues. Yeah, Eric, by the way, it's we, we need more distinctions, which is something that in the online world doesn't happen. Error has no natural rights or eternal rights. But as, as Thomas is quick to point out, of course, of course, error has positive rights. Just ask Chris Ferrara, who who defended 
uh, Jews' right to worship in, in New York as, as much as Catholics. So air has positive rights. That's just known as the doctrine of toleration, not, not natural rights. And this is, this is a distinction and nuance that's utterly overlooked in the online world of sniping and, you know, 144 character messages and whatnot. It's, it's something we need to return to, something uh, we need our, our recollection refle- refreshed about. Uh, so uh, I guess we're approaching our uh, the end of this, uh, our, our hour. Uh, Want to do a roundtable of uh, prescriptions uh, for, for Catholics or Catholics in the military uh, heading forward into uh, the next couple of years? Let me, uh, yeah, uh, let me jump in. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, recall uh, or or uh, just understand that not even 10 years ago, when according to public polls, the most trustworthy institutions in the United States of America were the federal law enforcement at 80-something percent, and then the U.S. military who polled in the mid-90s. At the time, Congress was polling in, at 9% in terms of trustworthiness. So, uh, and and I think the New York Times was was at a negative number. So when when you when you look at the the most the most trustworthy to the least trustworthy, we have seen a total attack and breakdown on the two most trustworthy organizations in the United States: federal law enforcement and the military, who have been utterly demolished and destroyed uh, after this uh, this usurper in chief uh, crowned himself, you know, pseudo pseudo king. And so what, what I would recommend, I have two recommendations, I think, to young men. If you're already in, and this is easy for me to say, this is almost like armchair quarterbacking, but I'm living this life through uh, as, as well, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm practicing what I preach. Take the hit. Uh, you know, God, God calls the most unlikely people to martyrdom. Don't go out of your way to seek martyrdom. That's, that's, not, that's a crown bestowed by God. He chooses these people. And he gives it to you. But even social martyrdom, even career martyrdom, taking uh, taking the page 11 entry into your record book, standing in front of your general, even being prosecuted over over your principles, refusing the death jab or refusing to comply with ra- radical transgender alphabetism. Um, the second thing I would say to young men who are considering joining the military or f- for parents especially who have young men and they say, gosh, if you're telling me I can't man up my kid who's been effeminized by public schools and been effeminized by this culture. I was relying on the military to man him up. Now I can't. It's time for us to have a really a, a totally separate uh, system of everything, not just social media, not just, you know, we, there's almost a parallel church forming uh, in, 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 within Orthodox and conservative and traditionalist Catholics. But we, we actually do need to come together and reform the military orders We've got to do the scouting. We've got to do, you know, we've got to raise up young men because if we don't, um, there's going to be nobody left uh, to to carry on the fight. Nice. Yeah, I I, I very much agree with that. And that this, uh, I think we need to move towards parallel institutions uh, within academia, military, um, and uh, media. Uh, as well. Yeah. So I think that that ethic of parallelism is definitely needed right now. Um, I would say just to add on to that, I would suggest that anybody uh, who hasn't read this before uh, to go ahead and look up Alexander Solzhenitsyn's essay, Live Not By Lies. Uh, you know, he's writing from the uh, orthodox perspective, but try reading that and and not weeping and not seeing that as as a, uh, a picture perfect explanation 
of where we are right now uh, as a country and what our military is in right now. Um, so that would be my one and only suggestion. Find that essay, read it immediately, and I think that will will be uh, a really good guide to, to future action. I think I think the most important way that we can extend geographically, domestically, the in you know ineffable logic that that Mike just articulated is that we have to get in many republics, i.e. states, where we're surrounded by good people, balkanization being what it eventually probably will be. Your true republic is your state rather than the nation. And that's that's the um, principle of subsidiarity. So people, conservatives, need to get hip to the idea of surrounding themselves with good strangers. How do you do that? Well, you, you have to go to a red state. I've been strongly recommending to people the South, and that's that's what I did, and I did it for a reason, and I had an action plan before I went because we want to be gathered among like-minded people. Now, I'm I'm surrounded by mostly Southern Baptists, but they're good people. They fly Trump flags still, almost every house in the neighborhood. Why is this so important, and, and why is it an extension of the logic that, that Mike adumbrated uh, just a second ago? It's because we need to act locally. You know, the left says, think globally, act locally. There's something to this. We need to make sure that we um, understand a tactical retreat. That's what it is to get around our troops, our people again. We need to let the battle lines be drawn clearly as the parallel economies hardens, as as the, the div- line of division between the parallel economies becomes more and more clear. That, that's really, really important. And people will respond to me online because I'm, I'm associated with this point of view. Hey, get to a red state while you still can before COVID-22 or 23 hits. They'll say, well, what about staying and fighting? Well, that's that's non-tactical, man. And it's also a dishonest response that I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say I, I have to I have to identify as a kind of slack jawed suburban fallback position that has no meaning. It divests its words of their meaning. How many BLM or Antifa people have you fought? How many school boards have you taken back over? Probably none. And if you do say, well, I stay in a blue state and fight, um, a la the military, then then that's great. And then the one person I can take seriously is a guy that's actually fought someone in their, their blue state. But it, it can't be a stalking horse for staying where you're at, staying complacent, and uh, prolonging the inevitable, mm. uh, putting it off to another day. I think this is an important component of what non-military can people do. Think in terms of a tactical retreat. That's that's the most important thing that non-military people can borrow from from military thought in mm. in 2021, late 2021. Yeah, yeah to underscore both those points that uh, Mike and Tim both said that, uh, and specifically with regard to uh, Catholics, you know, in in the church, uh, a, a tactical retreat, sort of, is kind of what we saw developing before the recent motu proprio. And it was gaining much, uh, much traction. And it's kind of weird to think of it in a way. But, you know, 100 years ago, uh, during the reign of Pope St. Pius X, here you had the church. And already inside there was an ape church uh, already forming. 
And now that has grown up and largely taken over the church. And so this little tactical retreat to, you know, not just Latin mass, but, you know, faithful Catholics, which is probably a very small percent. As uh, Pope Benedict said when he was just Monsignor Ratzinger back in you know, 1967 or 68, whenever he gave that radio interview, uh, you know, you got to realize there's only about, certainly in the United States, maybe 5% of the 70 million nominal Catholics there are in the country. There's only really about 5% who actually believe and accept the faith. So it's important, however that happens, uh, whether it happens in the physical order or at least for now the online order, uh, however, I mean, certainly the liturgical order, that that gathering has to take place. That's what happened originally, <laughs> uh, you know, as, as the church was being taken over, these little cells of people. And remember, they didn't have the Internet to stay connected. They connected through conferences and visits, and back in the day, goodness gracious, they'd get in horse and buggies and go somewhere and do this and, you know, have their little meetings and write their little tracks and pass them around. They're full of, as Bishop, as Bishop, Bishop Sheen said, they have all the zeal and no truth. And mm -hmm. we have all truth and no zeal. And so the idea that I need to change my life, how I live my life now, has to become something that I probably never would have imagined 10 years ago, mm -hmm. maybe even five years ago. Uh, but everything that I have seen as how I'm going to live, whether I'm 20 or whether I'm 70, now has to change as a Catholic. Uh, it simply has to change. I have to get rid of the idea of hobbies and spending my time goofing off or doing whatever it is. I don't mean you know, good leisure. I'm talking about the amount of time you're spending. Uh, you know, the, the church is near total collapse. As a result, so is the country and all the institutions of the country aren't near total collapse. There's simply no way to just pretend, oh, well, I'll just do a little something or I'll write a letter or I'll sign some online petition or something and everything will be fine. It doesn't work like that. You know, this is, you know, it, the, the, <laughs> the barbarians aren't just at the gates. They're walking down the street in parades and they're robbing your banks and stealing your children. So you don't get to just go into the basement, into your man cave, and watch the NFL. Oh, by the way, it's on your NFL game, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent uh, points, all you guys. Uh, well, anyways, I thank you, gentlemen, for the time and, uh, you know, the effort that you, you gave to this conversation. Uh, just for anybody who's interested, we will all be at the uh, uh, Faith and Freedom Conference that I'm putting on in Georgia on Friday, September 10th, and Saturday, September 11th. And we're gonna be talking about a broad range of issues uh, affecting Christians, conservatives, uh, men and patriots uh, within our country. And uh, you know, we'll all be speaking at that, so you can find more um, information about that on ChristianVeteransUnited.com. You're listening to the Podcast. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media restoringthefaith.com